My name is Dr. Stephen Kelly. Today I wish to talk about the life of John Henry Newman, the recently beatified theologian. In particular, I wish to examine John Henry Newman's political and social thought. In my recent research uh, for my new book, I Conservative at Heart, The Political and Social Thought of John Henry Newman, this work represents the first examination of Henry's political and social views. With access to a wealth of published and unpublished writings and archival material, it challenges the conventional construction of Newman as a high churchman, devoid of a political and social conscience. Of course, theological and not political and social considerations dominated Newman's th thinking. Unlike many of his contemporaries, he did not share their worldly preoccupations. However, to believe Newman's own pronouncements, that he remained completely detached from the world of politics or societal considerations, are a falsehood. Now, my research does not make, to make any novel claim that Newman is an undiscovered genius of 19th century political and social thought. He will never be ranked alongside, for example, the philosopher and economist John Stuart Mill and the social theorist Herbert Spencer. Indeed, with the exception of who's to blame, uh, a publication of 1855, Newman never wrote a political or social treatise, nor did he ever attempt to present the main corpus of his political and social thought in a readily accessible form. Nonetheless, I would confidently argue that Newman deserves a more honourable place in the history of 19th century political and social thought than has hitherto been acknowledged. Newman's religion was a social religion, his church a visible, living institution, acting as a bond for society. And this inevitably made Newman question the church relationship with the state. Now, having first rebuked the suggestion that Newman lacked an awareness of political and social problems, the aim of my research is to vigorously attack the myth that Newman remained a disciple of political and social conservatism over the course of his life. Now, Newman was indeed a conservative at heart, but the basis of his conservatism rested on his religious beliefs and not his political and social views. Indeed, in his 1865 seminal work, Apologia, he wrote that his entire life had been a defence against re religious liberalism, which he believed to be, quote, anti-dogmatic. He disliked the optimism of human nature, which was associated with the emerging trend of liberalism in society. He remained convinced that man was inherently flawed and that the society was doomed. He placed great emphasis on the traditional Christian doctrine of the fall of Adam and Eve, of original sin. He believed that the whole visible course of the world, quote, as he wrote, nations, empires, states, polities, professions, trades, societies, the pursuits of all kind, light in wickedness. The philosophical and religious views which Newman held led him to broaden and deepen his conservatism. He therefore cannot be labelled a Tory, a political and social exponent of conservative principles. Clearly, throughout his life, he maintained a strong bond with the principles of political and social conservatism. As he himself wrote in 1855, he adored society for the emphasis which it placed upon a stable class structure, a strong sense of independence of social ranks and classes, and the preservation of order and of law. He remained a lifelong admirer of the divine right of the monarchy, of the doctrine of non-resistance, and of the duties of passive obedience. However, 
This should not suggest that he was an outward supporter of political and social conservatism. In Newman's mind, God, not man, was the measure of all things. God was the divine ground of all existence. He therefore always placed limits upon the importance of politics and politicians of his generation. Indeed, Newman can never be labelled or accused of holding strong Tory political and social views as compared to his renowned Oriel colleague, John Kebble, or his livelier colleague, Richard Hurl Froud. Both men were proud of their Tory label. Newman, on the other hand, never saw himself as a party man and he disliked such labelling. Newman retained a deep-rooted suspicion for conservative and liberal political movements alike. As he admitted himself in 1866, quote, I have no great love for the Conservatives. It did not matter whether Tories or Whigs were in power, as he believed they both saw to erode the Christian Church's influence in society. Although it must be recorded that throughout his lifetime, Newman remained particularly hostile to the Liberals, remaining convinced that they embodied anti-dogmatic principles which propagated the idea that private judgment could legitimately replace Christian dogma. So I've offered a, a brief overview of my arguments that Newman, although a conservative at heart in relation to his theological views, was not a conservative uh, in relation to his political and social uh, perspective. I'd also like to introduce you to a case study uh, of Newman's views, political and social views, in relation to the Oxford movement. Uh, and firstly, a brief background uh, of Newman's early years. Newman was born in February 1801 and he died in August 1890. His life spanned a century of great political, scientific and technological changes. He lived to witness the candles lighting in the windows to honour the English naval victory against Napoleon Bonaparte's French fleet at Trafalgar in 1805. To see the reforming Acts of Westminster from 1832 to 1867. The publication of Charles Darwin's Origins of the Species in 1859 the invention of the telephone and the arrival of electricity. Newman did not remain impervious or particularly hostile to the changing nature of Victorian society. Rather, he believed his mission was to safeguard the Christian message from the onslaught of secular forces. There was little in Newman's family background or early school years which was likely to have greatly influenced his political and social thought. His father, John Newman, exhibited no burning political zeal. Although Newman's younger brother, Francis William Newman, was prone to various outbursts on political and social matters. That said, there is some evidence to suggest that Newman's social conscience may have first been awoken as a teenager following his father's bankruptcy. bankruptcy. By the standards of the time, Newman's family background and upbringing was relatively privileged. The war against the French had permitted his father to become a prosperous banker and marry a wife of wealth and breeding. Newman's mother, Jemiah, whose background was French, came from a prosperous family of paper manufacturers. However, in the aftermath of the ending of the Napoleonic Wars, Newman's father's bank failed and the family fortunes went steadily downhill. This change in Newman's family circumstances left a lasting impression upon his mind and in later life he made much effort to conceal the humble origins of his family Particularly, as he explained to his aunt, Elizabeth Newman, in 1821, he retained a lifelong aversion, quote, for society's evil, lust for unlollied prosperity. 
Now, I would argue that it was Newman's association with the Oxford mu- movement which left the gr- greatest impact upon his political and social thought. Although his family's financial position remained precarious, his father was determined to send his eldest son to university. Newman first arrived to Trinity College as a young impressionable 16-year-old in 1817. For the next 25 years, he was to retain an intimate relationship at Oxford, holding a much coveted fellowship at Oriel College from 1822 until his resignation in 1845, following his conversion to Roman Catholicism. As an undergraduate, religious, not political and social questions remained to the forefront of Newman's thought. There was, of course, many events to engage the attention of a young Newman. This was the period that witnessed the madness of King George III and the radical wars of Scotland. Yet Newman remained withdrawn from such contemporary political and social affairs and was instead content to live within the insular surroundings of Oxford life. Newman's involvement with the Oxford movement over a 12-year period from 1832 to 1845 first stimulated the development of his political and social thought. He conceived the movement primarily as a religious mission, particularly towards advocating church reform, although political concerns had underlined the genesis of the movement. Central to his establishment was the vital question of how Newman could keep the Church of England from becoming, quote, as he said, liberalised. His mission, as Wilfred Ward wrote, was, quote, his relentless war against liberalism in thought that was breaking up ancient institutions in church and state and would not cease from its work until it had destroyed religion. As leader of the Oxford movement and working alongside his fellow Tractarians John Kebble and Edward Pusey, Newman portrayed the Anglican Church as a middle way between the Roman Catholic Church's excesses on the one hand and the Protestant era on the other. Through his writings, he urged reform of the established church and sought to uphold and defend the dogmatic principles of the church against the rise of forces of liberalism and secularism. From a practical standpoint, Newman's association with the Oxford movement arose from his opposition to the passing of Catholic emancipation by the Tory government in 1829 and the Whig government's introduction of the Irish Church Reform Bill in 1833. He was convinced that both the Tories and the Whigs sought to erode the Church of England's prominent status in society. Most politicians, he felt, were motivated purely by secular interests and cared little for the Christian values of the Anglican Church. Protestant England, he wrote in The British Critic in 1839, was intent on withdrawing its protection from the Church. He therefore became an outward opponent of Liberal Whigs and Conservative Tories. Both political groups, he believed, were two sides of the one coin. As he noted in 1833, quote, Whig and Tory are alike to us. In equal measure, Newman denounced the Whigs and Tory's actions and sought to distance himself from his early flirtation with political conservatism. For example, he described the Tory Home Secretary, Sir Robert Peel, as, quote, a rat, while he wrote that he, quote, had a fierce thought against the Liberals. He did therefore did not remain a consistent Tory, as has been articulated by some writers over the last century. On the contrary, he was never a party man and sought to remain neutral of political affairs. He saw himself first and foremost as a priest and foresaw his involvement with the Oxford movement as a religious rather than a political mission. Now, the Oxford movement was also an important factor in the development of Newman's social thought. In face of growing trend towards political liberalism, 
which seemed determined to erode the state's moral personality, Newman was first compelled to consider social problems. His sermons and Tractarian writings, which published the value of Christian social duties, revealed his genuine concern for social ills and helped to erode the notion that Newman lacked, quote, a weak social conscience. Again, this has been advocated by numerous individuals over the past century. In fact, his letter, letters and diary entries during this period reveal a priest deeply concerned for the welfare of his parishioners. For example, he was greatly troubled by the cholera outbreak which ravaged many English cities during the early 1830s, and he was opposed to the 1834 Per Law Amendment Act. So just in conclusion, my research demonstrates that over the duration of his lifetime, Newman represented both conservative and liberal political and social persuasions. A readiness to change established institutions was a prime example of liberalism for Newman, and it is evident that, on occasions, he embraced this ideal. In later years, for example, following his conversion to Roman Catholicism in the mid-1840s, he rejected his previous Anglican policy for a union between church and state. Not only did he come to advocate the disestablishment of the Church of England, but he was more willing for a change and alteration of established norms that many conservatively-minded contemporaries were slow to ascertain. Two examples of this readiness was his eventual symptomatic outlook towards democracy and his opposition to temporal power of the papacy. Not only did he come to advocate the disestablishment of the Church of England, but he was more willing for change and alteration of established norms than many conservatively-minded contemporaries. Two examples of this readiness was his eventual sympathetic outlook towards democracy and his opposition to temporal power of the papacy. For over a century, from a political and social perspective, commentators have continually tried to drag Newman into the conservative and liberal camp. My research testifies that Newman belongs to neither. Instead, he represented a selection of both ideologies. In pursuit of religious truth, he was liberal when he sought to amend what he believed to be wrong, and a conservative when he sought to maintain what he believed to be right. <laughs>